to us, his love, his faith, and the grace that he has for us. All of these are empowered by the Father and the Son, according to this passage. I want us to think about this for just a minute. We just finished, and I'm talking about in our recent study here in Ephesians, we just finished a very lengthy section on the fierce spiritual battle that we're all in and that rages around us every single day. I'm talking about Christians engaged in the battle against demonic forces, and we spent the last two Sundays in our text looking at those things in particular. And we know that it's real, we know there's a battle, and we just finished talking about that, and we know what kind of a situation we are in. Well, this theme uh, has been addressed in various places in the book. It's not just in chapter 6 that we run into spiritual battle. The whole book has been moving its way uh, to to chapter 6 to put a finale on the spiritual warfare that we are in. And he has given us theological truth for our relationship with Christ. Now, I don't know if you've ever noticed, but I don't preach the newspaper. I never preach the newspaper. I actually had a guy in our church show up one day when 9-11 happened, and he said, I knew for the first time you would be talking about current events that Sunday. And he said, and I'll be, you never even mentioned it. (laughs) That's because we don't care uh, that much when we are the people of God coming together to learn the word of God we care about what God says. We care about what the, what the world does in relation to what God says. We just want to know what does God say because we believe that even in something as tragic as 9-11, it's the truth of God that's going to get us through. It's the truth of God that keeps us stable. And that's why we don't take a break uh, from doing that. Well, based on all this truth that he has given us and the things that he's commanded us to live by so that we would be in harmony with God and with his people uh, who actually are the people that we are concerned about and then we're also concerned about those who need to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ, find true life, to find salvation. We're concerned about that as well. We desperately need spiritual realities if we are going to do well in holding up emotionally, spiritually, and physically in the battle that we are in spiritually. These are not just words. They are are helps to us from the power of God. So we are never going to go into battle against the forces of evil on our own. We will have other brothers and sisters that will be there to help us and to help hold us up. We also are going to have the presence of the living God. We're going to see that as we talk through this this morning. They're not just words. They're not just things that Christians talk about. They are realities in this world, the power of God in your life to help you, whatever issue is that you need help with. I wonder, do you feel these realities in your life as you are living for Jesus? And just to review for just a minute, I'm talking about his comfort, his peace, his love, his faith that he gives us, and his faithfulness to us, and also his grace to us. Do you feel those things? Are they real when you're in the middle of battles? Are they real when you're walking the road that God gave you? Now, we're going to finish our book today in chapter 6, starting in verse 21. And here's what it says if you're there but that you may also know about my circumstances, how I am doing. Tychicus, our beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, so that, so he's given us the reason or purpose that he sent him, you may know about us 
and that he may comfort your hearts. So we already know that one of the things God is going to do to help us in these situations, he's going to send other believers into your life and help you with those situations, encourage you in those situations, and he's going to be there to to work through them. But that's not the only way that he does it. But this is what Tychicus is doing. And that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with, and I'm going to change the translation there to what I think it is talking about, with immortality. And I think that's referring back to the word grace, and we'll get to that in just a minute. Well, first of all, in verses 21 to 22, here's what I want us to learn. If you're following along in your bulletin, of course, there are some blanks you can fill out uh, in that. It is good for believers to comfort the hearts of other believers who need it. It is good for believers to comfort the hearts of other believers who are in need of it. Now, I don't know that I could ever think of a week that has gone by in my life as a pastor when there isn't a bunch of people that could use some comfort, that could use some encouragement, and could use some help. This is something that's with us all the time. It's all around us. I guess the challenge I want to make to us today is, are you available to let God use you to bring, if you will, um, the medicine of heaven to their doorstep and to help them with that. Now, I gave you a a secular picture up here uh, of an army pharmacist, and they had everything they needed there. You can be used of God to help people in the battle and to keep them strong and to encourage them if you just show up and if you just bring what Jesus wants you to bring. This is the kind of man that Paul sent And it's good for believers to comfort the hearts of other believers uh, who need that comfort. And I'm just saying that the opportunity is is just about everywhere. Now, I'm not going to turn to these, but I'm going to tell you what they say. But I have have three different verses here that I want you to consider. Proverbs 12, 18. And what I want to do is just read that for you. It says this. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrusts of a sword. Have you ever talked to a person like that? It seems like everything that comes out of their mouth, they're stabbing you with a sword and it hurts, and you just wish they'd stop and they wouldn't say any more. There is one who speaks rashly like the thrust of a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. The tongue of the wise brings healing. One of the things we're going to be talking about is that what you say to people and how you treat people in terms of what you say, and by the way, I know it's not always possible to say soft, comforting, nice things, especially when there's a major problem going on or they've done something very wrong. You have to get to the point, that's for sure. But even in that, wisdom will bring healing. Maybe correcting the course that somebody's going, talking to them about, you know, what you're doing is sin. That's not going to get you where you want to be with God especially. And uh, would you think with me a little bit biblically about how we can change that and what we need to do? So we want to be the kind of people, because we belong to God, who use our tongues not to stab people to death, but to bring healing to them with the wisdom of God. The second one is Proverbs 15.4. And by the way, there are lots of these kinds of verses, not only in the book of Proverbs, but elsewhere. It says this, A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversions in it crushes the spirit. The soothing tongue is a tree of life. Now, when we think about that verse, we think about, you know what, I've heard about a tree of life before. And that's different than the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. The tree of life was in the garden for Adam and Eve, 
And it was the tree that when they ate of it, they would live on and on and on and on. God didn't intend for mankind to die. Uh, the tree of life is going to show up later in the last, uh, last uh, events of God with, with us. And people will eat of that tree of life again. The point is the tree of life sustains you. It keeps you going. It keeps giving you life. So what I want you to see is how powerful our tongues can be. Uh, because death and life are in the power of the tongue, and we want to be those uh, who are bringing life. And so Proverbs 15.4 says, A soothing tongue is a tree of life. Now our next verse, Proverbs 18.21, says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. So I wanted you to think about the tree of life. When you speak to people, uh, are they finding life? Are they finding ways to move on? Are they finding comfort? Are they finding uh, ways that they might be able to do better with God and experience more from God? Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Now, there's two kinds of fruit then. The way I speak and use my tongue can either be a tree of life, and there's going to be life in it, or I can use my tongue to bring people down, discourage them, uh, take away any hope that they have, and I can bring life or, or death to them. And the choice is mine in terms of how I use my tongue. So we want to be thinking about that. These people are in spiritual battle in the, in the city of Ephesus and, and around there. He's been telling them about that spiritual battle, how to fight it, and how to survive it. And now he's reminding us that these things are available to us, if you will, as sort of a field hospital with all that we need in it when we come together as a body of Christ or when we just come together with a friend who needs to hear something that will bring comfort to them. I want to throw in here 2 Corinthians 1.3. It said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. We belong to Jesus Christ. Jesus is, is the God of all comfort and he's the God of all mercy and grace and peace. And we are to be the conduit through which that goes to other people. So when somebody else is involved in a battle spiritually, we come alongside and we help them and we try to bring them peace. We try to bring them comfort of God. And it may mean we'll have to help them in some way, you know, physically get out and do something to help them. And that's fine. And that's what we're called to do. But I want us to know this morning that the comfort of God doesn't depend on us for it to happen because God cares more than that. Uh, God is going to take care of those things, even if you and I don't show up, but how much better would it be if we did show up and tried to help people? A lot better. Well, Paul has just mentioned his chains as an ambassador of Jesus Christ. An ambassador is a person with authority from the one that they represent. Paul is representing Jesus Christ, the Lord and King of the universe. And he's his ambassador. So when Paul speaks for the king, he is speaking exactly what the king wants us to hear and what we should do. So we should listen to that. But he's in chains right now. He's in prison when he wrote this letter. So he has to send Tychicus to, to be able to go and give that letter to these people because he's not free to go. So it, we talked about the fact that this just doesn't fit well. I mean, he's an ambassador and he shouldn't be in chains, but he is. And he is writing to them while he is in prison. Now, some people have speculated when they're trying to understand this passage that the Gentile believers probably felt guilty for the fact that Paul was in prison. And to some extent, that's true, uh, that, they, that they were the reason why he was in prison, but certainly Paul didn't do it uh, you know, so that they would feel guilty. Paul did it because that's what God called him to do. He had gone through all the whole uh, known world that he could, he could possibly cover, 
And he went through all the trouble that he went to in his ministry. We read about that a couple weeks ago, how all the things that Paul had been through in his ministry, talking about being shipwrecked, being beaten with rods, uh, starving to death sometimes, thirsting. People uh, tried to kill him at many times. But all that has been because he was determined to carry out his ministry uh, that was assigned to him by Jesus Christ. So we just want to stop for a minute and do kind of a self-check and say to ourselves, you know what, Greg, are you really willing to go through whatever Jesus calls you to go through to be able to get your ministry done? Or do you have some things you say, God, I'll do it as long as I feel good, but if, if we get over here and it gets too tough, then God, I'm out, and I'm not going forward with that. Well, Paul was never that kind of a person. He, he said, it doesn't matter what comes my way. I'll give my life if I have to, and I'm going to do that ministry. But perhaps maybe some of the Gentiles felt like, It's because of us that he's in there, so we feel bad about that. Well, because he was intent on reaching Gentiles with the gospel, uh, he met Jewish hatred and jealousy, and he's in jail. Now, I don't want to leave out the fact that there were Gentiles that were upset with him too, and they tried to do bad things to him as well. As as we would think Christians would do, they are concerned about his well-being while he's in prison. I've always wondered, and you know, you think about what's going on today. It's getting closer and closer. It would be pretty easy for a minister to end up in prison. Uh, There are some pastors in California fighting for the right to meet together as Christians, and they're threatening prison with them and things like that. Uh, I just hope if that happens that you might come by and visit me. It would be nice to see your face. Uh, But if you don't, uh, that's okay. Jesus will be there with me. But I'd like to see somebody with some flesh on once in a while and say, hey, how's it going? Ask the sheriff, maybe could you give these crackers to him or something. All right, as, as we would think, Christians would do their concern. And he asks for them to pray for the advancement of his ministry while he is in that venue. And yeah, I'm calling prison a venue. Oh, uh, There's all kinds of venues that we can minister in. And it doesn't have to be one without bars for us to minister. Remember, Paul said, uh, I'm in prison, but the gospel's not in prison. And that's always the case. So Paul says, I'm in prison. I might as well make the best of it. So I'm going to minister to people. And, and he said, I need your prayers for that. I need to be bold about ministering here. And he asked for them to pray uh, for the advancement of his ministry. Now, let's, let's read that in 21 and 22. But that you may know about my circumstances How I am doing, Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make everything known to you. Paul knows their concern. So Paul sends this this minister in his place to tell them how he's doing. And what they're going to find out is he is still in the middle of ministry, even though it's a little bit limited right now. He says, I sent him to you for this very purpose so that you may know about us. So their concern for him is very deep and that he may comfort your hearts. And so we see that they have a a love relationship with him. He is looking at this ministry role in his environment of the prison where he can speak the gospel message boldly. Now get that, okay? Why is he in prison? Well, he ticked some people off about sharing about Jesus, and he went into, like even at Mars Hill in Athens, and he brought the gospel to people that were totally pagan, and, and there's been people getting upset with him. He is in prison because he's bold about speaking the gospel. <laughs> now he wants prayer because I want to use the prison now as my platform for ministry. 
There was a time when there was a Roman soldier that was actually uh, chained or handcuffed to Paul. <laughs> can you talk about a, a, an audience that wasn't getting away from the gospel? I mean, can you imagine what it was like for the, that guy? I don't know if he came to know Christ or not, but how would you like to be handcuffed to uh, the apostle? You're going to hear the message. And this message that he's speaking is one of equality between Jews and Gentiles when it comes to, to Jesus Christ. This is exactly the message that landed him in jail in the first place. So I understand that if pastors start going to jail, jail is just now their new ministry field. That's just where they're going to take their gospel. Uh, jail is just one other place where God wants the ministry to be. Note as well that Paul is concerned for those who are concerned for him. Obviously. He said at one point, he said, I have all the pressure of the churches that I've planted on me, and every day I have the burden of praying for all these people. And we see over and over as he writes to these folks, I'm praying for them, and I'm praying for the Philippians, I'm praying for the Colossians, I'm praying for those in Galatia. And he's just, what a prayer life this guy has. And he knows they desire information on his well-being, and uh, that's what he wants to do. He wants to alleviate their fears and their, their hearts feeling bad. Paul is sending an upper-level man of God to bring them that news. Tychicus, a beloved brother who is faithful as a servant, one who gets something done at the request of a superior. It is a New Testament word that is used of this man and his abilities that we use or is translated as a deacon. We know as to be a servant. He is one who serves as an intermediary in a transaction. Here he is, uh, for the desire of Paul, going to comfort the Ephesian believers, and not just them, but he's also probably going to comfort the Colossians and maybe even Philemon because he's going to be in contact with them. He is one who serves in the place of Paul. And when Paul's in ministry and he's trying to carry on the ministry outside of the prison, it seems to me that you'd want your best people to be able to go and speak for you. So when it comes to ministry... Could we genuinely be described as a person who is beloved and faithful as a servant? If God takes out somebody else in ministry, uh, would you help serve them in that ministry, in that capacity, wherever they're at, like in prison? Would you carry on the ministry? Would you be faithful enough that, that the apostle could trust you, that you're going to go forward and you're going to carry out the ministry of Jesus Christ and you're not going to let it fall in, into the dirt? Paul would not send someone that he could not depend on. I love this little passage back in uh, Proverbs uh, chapter, uh, what is it, chapter 26, verse 6, about sending a messenger. And it says this, He cuts off his own feet and drinks violence, who sends a message by the hand of a fool. <laughs> you really have to be uh, desperate to send a message by somebody you can't trust. I want you to see that there were all kinds of faithful men gathered around Paul in his ministry. Tychicus is not the only one. We have Titus and we have others. We have Timothy and, and a host of others. And they're all very faithful in the ministry. And they all go out and they do what it takes, even if it lands them in jail. Let me suggest that the way Paul viewed Tychicus is the way the Lord should be viewing us. And I go back to Isaiah 6, 8. And the whole point is there, God is looking for somebody who will be a man and stand up and go preach to the nation of Israel what they need to hear. And nobody came forward, but Isaiah finally said, here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Would you volunteer for God to be the one to carry his message? 
That's really what all of us are supposed to be doing in the places that we work every day. We all rub shoulders with different people. God designed it that way. I'm going to reach people you won't ever reach, and you're going to reach people I'll never reach. God designed it this way, friends, and he wants us all to be ministers wherever we are at. If he said, will you go to work and will you give my message, would you hold up your hand and say, Lord, I will. Send me there. I think he's already sent you where he wants you to be. Are you doing the job that you're supposed to be doing? Am I doing the job I'm supposed to be doing? In verse 22, his purpose in coming to them is to deliver the letter, and also he's probably carrying the letter to the Colossians, which is a sister book to Ephesians, and he's probably also carrying what Paul wrote to Philemon, uh, and then also this one here to the Ephesians. So he's an important man carrying important documents, and he's also going to verbally let them know how Paul is doing and guide them in their theology as they read these books as well. Uh, his other main goal is to comfort them in regard to how Paul and his companions are doing. Okay, it's not like you could email Paul and check on him every other day, see how, how's it going in prison. You can't text him. You can't FaceTime him. Uh, if, if you want news of what's going on, it takes somebody writing a letter and somebody making a trip. And this person is very, very faithful to do that. Uh, comfort here means to instill someone with courage or with cheer. It is what Tychicus was going to do to touch the hearts, and that's the word cardia, and that means the innermost emotional part of a person. Uh, he's going to touch them with that comfort in the innermost emotional place in a person's heart. He wants to comfort them. It's okay. Paul is doing fine. He's chomping at the bit to turn that prison into his ministry. He wants your prayers for that. Don't worry another minute that you might be the reason he's there. He is there because that's where God wants him to be. And if that's where God wants him to be, we need not to worry about it. We just need to pray for him as he carries out his ministry. So are we seeing the pattern here of mutual care that we engage in as believers? Are we seeing that? Do we understand where we fit into that? It's not just a certain group in the church that's called to do these things. It's you, and it's me, and God doesn't pick certain people. Some people may be more gifted in that area. That's, that's true, but it doesn't mean we shouldn't all be doing that. I wonder if you in your own life, have you experienced how healing it is uh, and we're talking about Christian to Christian here, how healing it is when someone comforts you with good news. Maybe you'd been worried or upset about something, you didn't know what was going on, somebody came with good news, and it just changes your whole day. Or they use kind words with you, going back to the things we learned in Proverbs a minute ago, uh, or sympathetic, or they just help you in some way. Have you ever experienced that? God says with the comfort that you were comforted, go out and comfort other people. It's just like if somebody loses a child, the best person to go comfort them is somebody else who lost a child because they know what they're going through. I don't. I, hadn't have, I haven't had to go through that. And that, that's a very clear illustration to me because I used to do a support group for 32 couples that had lost children. It meant so much to have somebody who had been there go through that with them. Now, I want that to be in a Christian context, of course. I want a Christian comforting a Christian in that because then we really have something to offer by way of comfort. But have you experienced how healing it is to have someone who really cares when there is bad news or trouble? Will we be people to bring these things to others? That's the issue. Then verses 23 and 24. 
Peace to the brethren. Now, this is the Apostle Paul. This is a pronouncement and also a prayer. Peace be to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ with immortal love. Immortal grace is what I'm going to say. So we learn here that we need to pray for God's peace, love accompanied by faith, and God's grace, which will not decay. It is immortal. Those in spiritual battle can all use all the peace that they can possibly get. Look at 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 2, just a little bit away from us. 1 Timothy 2, 1 to 2. First of all, I urge that entreaties and prayers, petitions and thanksgiving be made on behalf of all men, for kings and for all who are in authority, so that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. Friends, our goal is not to seek conflict. It is to pray for peace. And I mean the kind of peace that God wants us to have and the world to have. We will stand in conflict as per instructed in chapter 6, but our goal is peace when it depends on us so that we can share the gospel of Jesus Christ with those around us. And this includes the peace that God gives in difficult situations. And maybe somebody doesn't show up. Maybe doesn't, there isn't anybody to stop or a Christian that knows that you're going through this and nobody comes along to encourage you. I just want you to remember that we always have encouragement from God. So in that Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, I want you to pay especially good attention to that. He says, be anxious for nothing. Anxiety is a fear of the unknown. We're often afraid of things that we don't know or what's going to happen, but be anxious for nothing. Well, Lord, how can I do that? He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So if, if I'm starting to experience uh, some fear of the unknown in my life, I turn to prayer in God, and then God responds in verse 7, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard you, and that means uh, from the enemy taking ground in this passage in Philippians and in our, Colossians, our Ephesians 6, uh, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Uh, the enemy will attack us physically, spiritually, and emotionally. God has an answer for all of those things, and he is there uh, to help us and protect us when that happens. Uh, this includes the peace of God, when you can have peace in your heart when the world is falling apart. Those in the spiritual battle also need love that is provided by God. Here the word is agape love. It is a warm regard for the interest and interest in another. It is esteem. It is affection. It is simply love. It is a love where you make a promise to be dedicated and dedicate yourself to the well-being of another person and seek to see the Lord's will or accomplished in that person's life. When in a marriage ceremony, a husband declares his love for his, for his new wife and a wife for a husband, they should be saying, from this point on, I dedicate myself to your well-being, and I want to see God's will done in your life and accomplished. We remember the command of our Lord, and we don't want to lose sight of his example for us uh, about these things. Um, I want to look at, if that's in your bulletin, Matthew 5:43. I think it is. Matthew 5, 43 and 44. You have heard that it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Jesus did that and were to do that. 
And this goes along with uh, the, uh, uh, the medicine that God is giving us to survive the battle. It would help us to keep a proper perspective about who it is that we're really fighting. It isn't blood and flesh. It isn't people. It's principalities and powers of the darkness. Remember that. Though people may look like or even act like our enemy, they are not. Those are the ones that we are fighting for, to gain them for Christ. Those in the battle need to have the peace and the love and accompanying faith that comes from God. We remind ourselves that nothing works without faith. Your battle is not going to survive without faith. Uh, You're not going to be able to move forward in Christ if you don't have faith. It is impossible to please God without faith, the writer of Hebrews tells us. In the battle, it is our faith that holds us in place, able to withstand the attacks of the evil one. Peace comes from God. Our ability to love depends on him as well. Faith is what God gives us too. Do you see how he's involved in giving us what we need? Faith holds everything in perspective, and I mean by that God's perspective, not ours, but God's perspective. In verse 24, Paul concludes by asking God to give us his grace. Grace is forever. It is immortality that we know its presence because we love God. There are many ways people translate the last two words in this verse. Some say in in corruption. Some attach it to the word love as the issue. It is possible for it to refer to grace, love, and even a combination of the two. It's difficult to tell, but in looking at the grammar in the Greek text, it seems to me it's referring back to grace. Paul uses this word usually when he has in mind the immortality of of a person in the sense of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is about the eternal life which is not subject to decay or dissolution. This grace is for all those who love the Lord Jesus Christ, and it is eternal as a part of his gifting to you. You will never, once you come to know Christ as Savior, you will never live another moment without the grace of Jesus Christ. It is always there. Grace is a wonderful gift to be getting from God in the midst of spiritual battle. So let's take a closer look at the battle that most believers find themselves in right now today. It is where you work, it's where you do business, it's with whom you rub shoulders every day, maybe other employees who don't have the same standards that you have. They don't want to live like you live. In fact, they make fun of the way you live. They pressure you by making fun of you. Uh, If you don't join them uh, in their uh, uh, parties at the bars where things take place that shouldn't take place, you get made fun of. You get teased for loving Christ, you, look, you get looked down upon, you get ridiculed, and in some cases, you get fired. And I am thinking in those cases, we could use some of God's comfort, his peace, his love, his faith, and a grace that never dies. Wouldn't it be nice uh, to be chosen to take those kinds of things as an ambassador of Jesus Christ to those who are wounded in the spiritual battle? That needs to be something we think about. You know, we get prayer requests, and we're always praying for people that get sick, and we should. And we shouldn't forget about that when we walk out of here. We should pray, you know. But we should pray about a whole lot more. And not just about somebody's business dealings or things like that, but we should pray about your ministry in the venue where you're at 
So I know that our teachers are in spiritual battle. So I pray about that. I know that where you work, you don't always work with believers and there's a battle. So I pray about that. Are you praying for people in the battle? Do you keep your eyes open to say, I wonder if they could use a word of comfort. I wonder if I could encourage them. God, here I am, send me. And remember that even if somebody doesn't show up, which is not an excuse for us, remember that in in Acts chapter 23, Paul was in prison and it looked like he was going to lose his life and nobody, nobody came to see him. Nobody came to encourage him. But the text says, the Lord came and stood at his side in the middle of the night. And he said to him, Paul, you're not done here. I have, I have to send you before the, the emperors in Rome. So this is not the end. Be of courage. God is with you. Some of you maybe have called on God and he didn't answer. And you gave up on him. And you were really in desperate need, but just didn't seem to be there. And you felt like you were all alone. I have news for you. In those kinds of places, we get to the place where we start feeling that God doesn't care and he doesn't really love me and he must not be who he says he is because he didn't show up or at least he didn't give me what I wanted. The problem is not that God isn't there. It's that we usually make decisions and we leave God. He is always there. He has always loved you. He's always comforted you. He's always with you. He never leaves you. The Bible says he never forsakes us. You're never alone. We need to not forget that. And it's just a little bit of icing on the cake when God sends another believer to help you with whatever that issue might be, whatever you're going through. And here in this context, we're talking about the spiritual battle that affects so much of our lives. Well, we have some applications there in your bulletin at the end. Let's emphasize some of these things that we can learn from the end of our passage in Ephesians. We learned that God uses faithful, trustworthy servants to carry the message of comfort to believers in need. And friends, if no one makes themselves available, like Paul in Acts 23.11, God is still with you. If you're alone in a pagan environment and there's no other Christian and you're fighting for the truth, God is with you. Secondly, God provides the weapons of warfare for us to use as well as provides the emotional and spiritual necessities for support in the battle that we need. A man by the name of Andrew Lincoln says this at the end of his commentary of the book of Ephesians, and I quote, the letter closes with stress on the believer's personal relationship and commitment to Jesus Christ. And that's what we need to keep in mind. Why would Paul end here? Because that's where we begin. And then finally, number four, I am thrilled, and this is the truth, I am thrilled, I always try to say the truth, I don't know why I said that, like I haven't been talking truth, so um, let me rephrase that, here's a little more truth, I am thrilled, I'm talking about me personally, at the times that our missionaries that we support have commented, and I think every one of them has, and not because I ask, that they have no other church, that cares about their well-being and ministry like we do. How does that make you feel? Um, How does it make them feel? I am so proud of our church for the way they care. Let's keep it up. Let's pray. 
Heavenly Father, I just want to thank you for giving us this time in the book of Ephesians. Uh, Lord, I want to thank you for all that you have taught us. And I just want to thank you that you put us in the middle of a battle when we, well, the day we trusted you as our Savior, where we signed up. And I want to thank you that you never abandoned us in that. And as a matter of fact, you have bolstered your presence by giving us brothers and sisters who are also in the battle. And we can help each other, and we can be conduits of your love and your comfort, your encouragement, uh, your peace, your love, and your faith. And I pray that we would make ourselves available to do that. I'm pretty sure that's not only what Paul was calling us to do, but what he exemplified in his faithful servant, Tychicus, when he sent him to do those things for uh, the believers who were concerned about their apostle that they loved. I just ask that we would have those kinds of concerns as well. And we ask it in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.